You're listening to Nutrition Matters Podcast with Paige Smathers, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Hi everyone, it's Paige Smathers. Thanks so much for being here. Nutrition Matters Podcast explores what really matters in nutrition and health with a sensitive and realistic approach. To help support the podcast, please consider making a donation at positive-nutrition.com slash podcast. If you find this episode interesting, engaging, or helpful in your life, please consider donating, sharing with friends and family, and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever podcast app you use to listen to this podcast. You can leave a review about this podcast straight from your podcast app. Search Nutrition Matters Podcast, click reviews, and then write a review. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to have a little more food for thought. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Nutrition Matters Podcast. My name is Paige, and I'm your host, and I am so thrilled to share this conversation that I had with Jess Baker with you. She is a phenomenal human being and a really incredible writer, and I just feel so very privileged to have had the chance to sit down with her. She, if you, For those of you who don't know her, uh, she is a blogger turned um, author, turned, she just kind of describes herself as I'm Jess Baker for a living, which is so cool because she gets to speak all around the world. Um, she's super involved in the writing scene and the fat activism scene and um, plus size fashion. She's incredible. So she'll introduce herself a bit more in the podcast episode, but we spend a lot of time today talking about her new book called Land Whale, and we talk about um, lots of the things inside of that book and how it felt to write a book about some, uh, so much of her soul and heart kind of written down on paper. And I loved talking with her. It was just such a joy to get to know her a little bit. And I'm super excited to share this podcast episode with you. So also, I wanted to give a few announcements. For those of you who are local to Salt Lake City, some of you might know that I've been running a Beauty Redefined Body Image Resilience Group over the last few weeks, and it has been nothing short of an incredible and life-changing experience to be facilitating these groups of women. And uh, one of my group members a couple weeks ago said, hey, what are we going to do when this group's done? You need to do another group. And I thought, yeah, right. But then I thought, you know what? She's right. I should do this. So I have opened up a new group. It'll be 10 weeks long starting on November 6th, which is a Tuesday. And I'm running a morning group and an evening group. And the topic is mindfulness and intuitive eating. So what it is, is we will read one principle of intuitive eating every week, and then we'll get together as a group and talk about that principle. We'll really dive in for an hour and a half, dive into that principle, talk about how mindfulness and intuitive eating kind of weaving those together. I'll be providing mindfulness skills throughout. And it'll be 10 weeks on Tuesdays, and we will skip the week of of Thanksgiving as well as the last two weeks of the year. And so the group will run from the beginning of November through the end of January weekly for 10 weeks, skipping three weeks in there. And I'm just thrilled to be doing this. So at first, I was just going to do a morning group. That group filled up really, really fast, so I decided to open up an evening group as well. And we have, let's see, I think three or four spots in that evening group. So if you happen to be interested and you're local to Salt Lake City, if you're interested in diving into mindfulness and intuitive eating a bit more, um, there is a link in the show notes. uh, So there's a bullet point in the links mentioned that says join the mindfulness and intuitive eating group 
starting up on November 6th. So uh, just click on that or just head on over to the website and you can hover over um, service. So it's positive-nutrition.com. I should say that first. And then you hover over services, click on groups. And then after that, click on the mindfulness and intuitive eating group. And then scroll all the way down to the bottom. Make sure you read about it and see if it feels like a good fit for you. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and then go ahead and fill out the interest form. That will let me know that you're interested and then I'll go ahead and reach out to you and um, and see if it's a good fit for you and answer any questions you might have and get you signed up. So it is uh, starting up on November 6th weekly from 5 p.m. to 6.30. So this one's really intended for folks who work to hopefully be able to make it. And um, this group experience has been amazing. And I think there's so much to be learned from each other and in the process of making community. I just think it's such a beautiful thing. So I'm honored to be a part of it. And I'm looking forward to those who are excited to join the group as well. Okay, so with that, let's get into talking to Jess Baker all about her new book, Land Whale. Thank you so much for being here. And as always, please feel free to leave a review for the podcast. Um, be sure to check out the donation page. It's just positive-nutrition.com slash donate. And um, if you could donate even like, you know, five or 10 bucks, that's always super helpful um, just to keep keep things running, keep the podcast hosted and to pay for some of the the fees associated with podcasting, as well as supporting me in my continuing education efforts. So with that, let's get into talking with Jess Baker. And thank you so, so, so much for being here. And just a reminder, there are two more podcasts after this until I take a two-month break for the month of November and December. And then um, I'll kind of reach out with with news of what I want to do in January, kind of reevaluating and reassessing my time and energy I, I'm assuming I will come back, but we'll see how, how it all goes. All right, so let's get into talking with Jess Baker. Hi, Jess. Welcome to Nutrition Matters Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, this is so exciting for me. You are amazing, and I am so thrilled to have the chance to chat with you. So do you want to just take a minute for anyone who doesn't already know you and your work? Do you want to just kind of tell, uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Um, so my name, my name is Jess Baker. People sometimes know me as the militant Baker. And I started blogging uh, six or seven years ago. And it changed. The blog itself started out as like a, a baking blog because I used to be a professional baker. And um, it was through my exposure to those lifestyle blogs and kind of being in that community then I found some really amazing blogs that were around body image, um, particularly one that doesn't really exist anymore, but it was called A Nearsighted Owl, and it was um, written by this woman named Rochelle, and we had everything in common. Like, I was just in love with everything that she posted about. She loved thrifting. Like, this is, like, hipster Jess in her 20s, so <laughs> thrifting and owls and cats and purple beehives. I, like, literally had a purple beehive. Um, like we're soul sisters. (laughs) Yeah. And the interesting thing is that in the moment I didn't really identify with this, but she was also, um, really fat. And that was something that to me that long ago was really negative It's something that had ruled my life. The fact that I was fat as well. Um, 
it had ruled my life in a negative way up until that point. And it was the first time, and this makes me sad, but also I'm really happy it happened. It was the first time I had ever seen a fat woman living unapologetically and being happy and not working to change their body. And it kind of blew me away. I wasn't sure what to do with that information. Um, but I kept going back and I was kind of like fascinated by this, this woman who yeah. like we had everything in common and except that she was happy. And I was constantly on this journey to shrink my body, which never worked. Um, and I was miserable while doing it, but really believed that that was the answer to happiness. And so it was through reading that, that one night I had this, like literally it was a moment and it sounds so corny, but I had this revelation one night and as I was reading and I was like, maybe I don't have to hate myself for the rest of my life. And that thought alone was so foreign and novel to me and it blew my mind. And it's one of those things where like once you think you can't you can't ever go back you know yes (laughs) that kind of freedom is just incredible um so I started blogging about my journey instead of kitchen stuff it became about my body image journey and everything I was learning I just you know it was kind of at the time too where there weren't a lot of blogs about it it was mostly like tumblr um and tumblr and tumblr that was all (laughs) there was that was it um yeah for for body image but that tumblr changed my life too i was able to find the you know these images of of fat humans living amazing lives and being in love and that was also something i didn't feel i deserved and then the blog evolved it was really amazing um it built up an audience i've always been known i think somebody described it as raw raw missives something like that and I and so I just promised myself from the beginning that I would be very authentic and transparent and I'm glad I did because I had no idea it would become successful and um back in 2013 I don't know if you remember but there was the huge like Abercrombie and Fitch yes I wanted you to talk about that do it yeah I love it yeah so that was kind of uh really um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But the readers that I did have were really upset. And for those who maybe don't know or or don't remember, um, some comments had, some old comments um, had come up again in the press that were made by the CEO of Abercrombie & Fitch. And he said, you know, candidly, we go um, for the cool kids. And that's the reason why they don't, they don't sell extra large clothing uh, for women specifically. They do have extra large for men, um, which I find interesting. Um, and it was all because they want their, you know, they were othering uh, yeah. any plus size woman um, and saying, you are not worthy of wearing this very extra established. Large isn't even big. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, right. <laughs> totally, totally. And it depends on the company and, Totally. Standardized sizing is not a thing. Um, absolutely. But it was very purposeful that they didn't um, allow fat people to wear their clothes. Uh, so everyone was angry. It was everywhere in the news. 
And I went to a friend who was a photographer and I was like, okay, I have this idea. Um, I want to recreate Abercrombie and Fitch like um, advertising photos. And if you're not familiar with them, I'm, I'm sure everyone is. But they're like black wow. and white, super sexy, right? Yeah. Yeah, and totally. half the time people aren't even wearing their clothes in the picture. <laughs> right. It's like, like an inch of the pants at the yeah. bottom of the, yeah. Of the yeah, picture. totally. And it's all about like this, it was just all about like eliciting this exclusive, um, sexy, kind of preppy ideal. And so uh, we took that and recreated it. I had a, um, the other model was a very traditionally attractive model. His name is John Shea here in Tucson. Um, he was so great. And so we recreated it, except I was in it. And so it was a fat woman in an Abercrombie ad and they couldn't do anything about it. I love um, it. And we re fixed, the, we fixed the logo. And so Abercrombie and Fitch, it was attractive and fat and it was just challenging visually um, representation in the media. It was definitely a middle finger to Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, and it just exploded really. It just went viral in every country and every language. It seems like. And then you were on like the today show, right? Yep. Because of that. I to the today show. And then it just hasn't stopped. And I, I knew in that moment that it was, it could have, it could be like a, a momentary thing or, if it was something I was really passionate about, I could continue to work on it. So I continued and now, you know, I speak all over the world. I'm going to speak in Finland in January. No way. Uh, yeah. For their That's first amazing. ever body image event. Um, oh, that is so I, cool. I went to Paris uh, in December and was the keynote with, um, oh my God, this is just so amazing to me. But I was the keynote at this event where the government and France is incredibly fat phobic. It's like their nationalistic pride is like the thin French woman yeah, that totally. eats all the baguettes and brie and pate, but stays thin. And so fat phobia is huge there and it's not addressed. It's not even a word in their dictionary. Didn't know if you knew that. Um, I didn't know that. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So the deputy mayor of Paris, was like, we're going to do an anti-fat phobia campaign, which was incredibly radical in general, and then especially for the capital of France. And so I got to go there in a gold dress and be the keynote to kick off this enormous campaign. And um, How did it go? Book. It was great. Yeah. My French is terrible. Um, <laughs> it's not an easy language. No, it's not. I did an intro in French and botched it, but um, it was wonderful. I actually spent I don't want to get too off track, but I spent, it was a very special thing to spend a few days in Paris with this very um, political fat activist group. There's a, there was only one, of course. Um, uh, but basically I had these fat babes taking me around Paris to see all of the, you know, Notre Dame and like the Eiffel Tower, all of these things. And it was just such an incredible experience. And didn't so, you have cool pictures taken too? I feel like I was I followed along that too. Like, yes. Oh, I did a photo shoot. I yeah, did. you did. Okay. I did. Sorry, I'm really... such a stalker. I just know this about you. <laughs> well, to be fair, I put my entire life on the internet. Okay. So, so that's, that's your fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I give it, I offer it. If you want to look, you're totally welcome to. Yeah. There's a really famous photographer 
uh, named Velvet Demore, and she uh, was actually the actually like for real the first plus model, um, and she walked for like Jean-Paul Gaultier before you know a decade ago before we were oh. even having these conversations in in a big way. So, anyways, everything has just been incredible, and people ask me what I do for a living, and I'm like I don't really know. I'm just a just baker for a living because it includes so many things. Oh, it's you're wonderful. A dream. And it's not easy though. I mean, it's you, you're, let's, let's transition to kind of talking about your book. So you've written multiple books at this point. Is it two or more? Yeah. Two. Two. Okay. Yeah. And your most recent book is called Land Whale. And mm-hmm. I just finished that book about a month ago and loved it. It was amazing. And I, I told you this before we started recording, but it's, it's everything. It's like, you're laughing, like I'm cracking up at so many parts of this book. And then I'm just like literally crying with you in parts of these books. And, <laughs> and anyway, you're such a good storyteller. I was just with you completely, just like in a flow state when I was reading this book. So great job on it. Oh, um, thank you. I like that description in a flow state. I, I seriously like very cool. Lose track of time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so your book is amazing. And I want to know, like, what is it like to, I mean, your job, your role in this world can seem really gl- glamorous because it is, I mean, here you are in Paris, uh, with, in a photo shoot and you're keynoting at this event and you're traveling the world and speaking and writing books and living the dream. Like I said, but there's, I mean, there's more to that story. There's so much pain behind that. There's so much that you expose yourself to um, when you, as a woman in your size body, like expose yourself to people saying really terrible, awful things. And it's not all glamour, right? Oh, no, 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 no. And that's, and I, you know, I try to be as authentic as I can and like as transparent as I can, but no matter what I say, it always is going to seem more exciting than it is. And that's not to discount like the incredible experiences I've had, Mm -hmm. but a really great example is I was just in San Francisco to, this was such a treat, like on a stage moderating slash interviewing Lindy West, who Ah! is a friend of mine and a brilliant author and journalist. She writes for the New York Times now, Um, literally just finished writing and producing a brand new television show with A.D. Bryant on it. I mean, just like a cool human, right? Totally cool human. The coolest human. And (laughs) I know her and I love her and we've hung out before and still I just, you know, that, oh, I think we all have it. But I have this imposter syndrome all the time. Um, and Lindy and I are very different in that she's kind of like a political interpreter and I'm very much like I have a, a work history in mental health. And so I'm all about the energy and the authenticity and the transparency and the feelings, you know. You're the and feelings so girl. <laughs> I'm the feelings girl. I'm so here for it too because that's so important. My work is really shame resilience mm-hmm. um, if you boil it all down. Um, but you know, what happened right before I got dressed was I had a huge meltdown, like on my friend's bed, sobbing into the phone, you know, talking to, um, a good friend of mine. And I was just like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't think I'm smart enough. She was, a, she is, and was a comedian. I don't think I'm funny enough. I can't do this. And it was like ugly cry. <laughs> um, and the reality is too that I also have several mental illness diagnoses. So 
I fight my brain all the time. And um, it was great. My friend gave me a great pep talk about how I just need to be myself. And, and then I went on stage and I looked incredible and it was so fun. Like we just, it was just the funnest interview. And so that's the part people see, right? They see the great outfit. Yep. And then they see the really funny, you know, um, interview, but they don't see me with puffy eyes right before feeling like I'm incapable of doing anything. So yeah, that's the reality. Um, and there's ugliness that surrounds all of it. And yeah, you're right. I do get a lot of hate. Uh, it's been really hard for me to learn how to handle um, the immense amount of harassment and emotional violence um, online specifically, because the reality is when you're in a body that does not look like what you are told is ideal, and this goes for all kinds of bodies, not just fat bodies, but, um, you know, we're looking at things like race and ability, disability, and age, and anything that kind of deviates from this thin, white, able-bodied, quote-unquote, perfect norm, ideal model body, anyone who is visible and challenges the narrative that you must be those things in order to be happy is going to incite what it really is, is, is fear. Yeah, um, it's true. And that often turns into anger and hatred. And it, it took me years to not go looking for it. You know, it still pops up, but um, it, it hurts me far less than it did, you know, six years ago where it could literally destroy a month of my life if I read like a comment about how I was, you know, a fat cow or something like that. Um, okay. But, but not you anymore. Have the best chapter in your book about that. And I, I hope it's okay that I just, I just laughed so hard with when you were talking about how you like listed all of, and that's kind of the theme of your book. It's called land whale because that's one of the insults people have tried to tried to like throw your way but you're kind of saying you're coming back and being like, well, wait a minute. Like a cow is pretty much the coolest animal in the world. And here's why. And like, it's just so witty. They literally awesome. jump for joy. Cows jump for joy. <laughs> it is incredible. Whales are the coolest creatures in the world. Also the longest living. Also they run the ocean. Also they communicate in song. Also, they have like amazing community. I mean, call me a whale. Like, thank yeah, you. actually, that's a huge compliment because they're the coolest. You, so, if anyone hasn't read your your book, there's like this whole section where you just like have like a, a paragraph per insult that you've been given, and you're like, actually, let me explain to you why that's actually the nicest compliment you've ever given me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I love I love that. Like, how was that to to write though? I. I'm so interested to know how does it feel like in general to write a book about such intimate details of your life and your struggles and um, your vulnerabilities, but then also these, these horrific insults that have been sent your way. I'm, and they're not horrific in, in how you're taking them, but they're horrific in the intent for sure. Right. Oh yeah. And I want to be very clear that like, I am not, and I wrote a chapter about this. I'm not bulletproof. Um, yeah. It's, it's just the animal names that I find comical. Um, there is a really amazing book that's going to be coming out um, next year. Called, I think it's called like the F word, but it's a young adult anthology. And I just wrote a little bit more about reclaiming those words, the animal names. Um, and for, I'm not sure if your 
for those of you who are listening, if fat is something that still carries a negative connotation. But I realized years ago that fat is just a neutral descriptor of the size of my body, the way it looks. Um, and it's the same as being like my ballet shoes are, you know, black and sunflowers are yellow and the sky is blue. I mean, Bob Sackett's tall. Emma Watson has brown hair. Like it's all the yeah. same. Jess Baker's yeah. fat. Um, there's power in reclaiming that word because it can no longer be like a weapon used against you. So um, animal names I've been called since, as I was writing for this anthology, I talk about the first time in fifth grade that um, I, it was called a hippo. Um, and then I didn't know it was a bad thing because I thought hippos were awesome. I was like the kid that watched all the National Geographic <laughs> uh, videos. And I was like, uh, hippos can like crush human skulls. They're kind of scary. Lions are afraid of them. They're awesome. But then I realized uh, there was another girl named Helen, and they called her an elephant, which, for the record, elephants are literally the coolest creatures. My favorite animal. Yeah, yeah. they're remarkable. And I started to realize the way they were saying it was so negative. And so reclaiming that was really important. Um, the same with fat. So when you hear me use that word, I am not attaching any negative feelings towards it. And it's not that we need to stop using the word, it's just we need to change the way we think about it um and so i talk about that in my first book which is things no one will tell fat girls and um that book is very different from land whale i'm not sure if you've read it or not you know i haven't oh my god well i think you need to i know i do um things no one will tell fat girls was hard to write because it was my first book but it was also easy because it's a very much a handbook around body image and essentially everything in one place that I wish I knew, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, and so it's, it's definitely peppy um, in that it's real talk, but it's like a pep talk. Like whenever I write in it, it's like for the days you need a pep talk, like this is what that book is for. And I think that's important and we need to be lifted up. And then also I felt very strongly. You know, I, I learned a lot after that book. My views on bodies and liberation and oppression have evolved. And I really wanted to write Land Whale because I needed to put the really hard conversations in one place. And I didn't write it for anyone other than those who could find solidarity within the pages. Mm. So there's this quote at the beginning instead of a dedication um, by Ijeoma Oluo. I love her. Yeah, she's brilliant. Oh my God. Um, she's brilliant. And we were having a conversation on the phone and she said, we've essentially, we've been trying to prove to the thin world that we're worthy for far too long. So Jess, if you're going to be brave, be brave for the fat people. And I held on to that and time because there's so many times when you're writing about I'll be totally honest I think I, I like sobbed through about at least half of that book um, it's a lot of a lot of trauma that I had to dig up and try and that, understand that cannot be easy it was the worst it was literally the worst year of my life um, <laughs> and my partner <laughs> will tell you that <laughs> he's like maybe you're not allowed to write another book for 10 years like I don't think 
I don't think either of us can handle that. <laughs> I um, it's so hard. Ugh. It was the worst, but here's the brilliant thing. So the writing suffered a little. So a lot of the criticism is like, oh, it should have been edited differently. And I don't know, people who don't write books think they know that books all need to be a certain way. Um, and that, and to be fair, that's true. Um, I definitely could have used like a year's worth of editing, but I knew as I was writing it that something had to go. Um, and it was either gonna be the real content and it was gonna be superficial and it would be wonderfully written, or I was just gonna literally lean in and give all of the real authentic, raw, hard, and happy things and let the writing just <laughs> not be the best. And that's what I chose because I feel like the content is what we're missing in the conversation. There's plenty of writers out there who are brilliant. Um, in You're their one of them, Jess. Oh my gosh. Well, it's different. It's different in the way that Lindy and I are different, but um, I don't regret it for one second. And also what was really cool, and then I'll shut up about this, but um, I feel really grateful now in hindsight, <laughs> not in the moment where I was just like, I am positive. I cannot do this. Don't slash don't want to, but I already spent, you know, the money. So I have to. Um, I think I worked through about 10 years of therapy in within that one year. I, That's why you were crying all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And so I feel like I aged 10 years and I think that if I didn't really dig into land whale the way I did, I'd still be dealing with a lot of the issues I talk about in it, you know, 10 years from now. So it was kind of gift to myself too. Oh, I think writing is such a way to heal, whether you publish a book or whether it's just a way that you figure out your own thoughts or publish a blog that only five people read. Like it can be so valuable. Or that no one reads. Or that no one reads. Exactly. Just for you. And I really, I actually, so I do one-on-one -on -one sessions. Um, essentially body, body image coaching um, a lot around um, mental health and self-care and also helping people reconnect with their bodies and food and movement. Um, and a lot of people just need to write on blogs that no one reads as like uh, one, a way to get out all of the difficult feelings mm -hmm. and place them somewhere as a record. And also so that you can go back and see your progress because so often we forget the little things. Um, and so, yeah, it's totally cathartic. I went to um, BYU-Idaho for um, college and I remember, do you remember Zynga? Yes. I had a yes. Zynga account. I totally did. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Totally. And when you're college age, you've got all the feels, right? And you need oh, yeah. to like get them out. And so I literally every night wrote like what I thought was prose, you know, like poems and like the most emotional things. Like Zynga saved my life during college too. It and do you still like, have it? And do you still read it? <laughs> oh, you know, WordPress. WordPress took it over and I lost it all. And I'm oh, so sad because <laughs> there was so much there that I would like, I want to publish that. I want to yeah. publish your, your 19 year old poems. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. It, maybe it's better that I don't look at all of that, but it's, it's gone. Oh, that sucks. But writing, you know, does, it does. It say it saved my life. It's um, changed other people's lives. And so I highly recommend 
Yeah, I think this book, Land Whales, is, is a book that I wish every thin person would read too. And I know you didn't write it for thin people as you don't need to and shouldn't. But I think uh, for people to understand what it's like to navigate the world in a fat body and what happens, I mean, you get, you get into such incredible detail about like what it's like to have sex and what it's like to go home and visit your parents and look at pictures of yourself as a child and realize, I mean, that moment in the book, I, I really liked that moment. Do you want to talk about that moment? Well, when I pitched the book, uh, there was a chat, you send them an outline with yeah. a paragraph explaining and the chapter was called, I was a fat kid. Um, and I was going to write all about what it was like growing up fat. And I went over to my mom's house, scrapbooking. She loved scrapbooking for a long time. And I went through these scrapbooks of, of me as a kid. And this was like, not, this was like a year ago. I was looking for the fat kid I remember being and it, she wasn't there. And it was the most bizarre, like other world experience to look at these like Kodak printed out pictures of little Jess at five years old, who was incredibly thin, it, like very thin. Like how did I possibly, like, it was almost as if I was like looking at a completely different person, but we shared the same memories. Mm. I just didn't recognize myself. The scary thing is that that's not the first time I've looked at that scrapbook. I've looked at it many times over the years, even while doing body image work online. And I had somehow superimposed this, it's like body dysmorphia, but in the past, I had superimposed visually the, this feeling of, of growing up fat and feeling not good enough when I wasn't that at all. And that's neither here nor there when it comes to like bad or good. It was just really mind blowing to me that my memories and how I existed in the world was shaped by a fact that wasn't true. And then it was during the writing of the book that I had you know a conversation with my dad and realized why for the first time in my life and that was that was the hardest chapter that was just I wondered every day that that had to have been so tough to put that out there and know that that's tough for you tough for your dad tough for your family yeah how do you navigate that yeah um you know I I mentioned in the book that I took the chapter and read it to my dad yeah Uh, so I wrote it wrote it and I was going to publish it as it was. Um, I wasn't going to add anything, but I went over and out of respect, I I do believe that if people don't want to be negatively framed in your memoir, they should not have treated you negatively. So um, it was kind of a courtesy to be like, I'm publishing this. Your boss probably knows who I am and likes to read my things. So um, (laughs) are you okay with this? And he was, and, um, it was, you know, hard for my mom, I think, to read a lot of it because as a parent, you're in your own head. Uh, you have no idea what your kids are really going through. Um, and, you know, her and I both have our own body things. So I don't know. It was, it was not difficult to navigate that part of, look, I'm publishing this. Is this okay with you? They all kind of had to process it on their own. Um, but I'm glad I did it. And I want to go back really quickly to what you said, where it, it is written for fat people. Um, but the experience of feeling inadequate, <laughs> because
because of the size of your body is so common that, you know, size two women that I meet have very similar feelings of inadequacy. And the difference is that I'm denied healthcare and jobs and, um, you know, I, I have to deal with a, an extraordinary amount of oppressive systemic issues that are actually like civil rights, like it's a civil right issue thing, whereas a thinner person does not hit those barriers. But that doesn't mean that we don't all struggle with very similar feelings. And so I hear that a lot um, about both books, specifically things no one will tell fat girls, because it's kind of a book for everyone. But even in Land Whale, people who have read it and said, one, it opened my eyes to, you know, what it's like to live in um, right. a fatter body. And I can't tell you how many people identified with not being a fat child and believing they were. Yes, and I was going to say. The that dad is, part. Yeah. That is so common t- for me to hear in my office for my clients where, where they will they will say, I just recently went home and looked at pictures of myself and I couldn't believe what I saw. Like just yeah. this. Yeah. Like, so when I read that in your book, I was like, that is, that is a more universal experience. than I think people recognize um, a million percent. And in things that I will tell fat girls. And when I lecture generally, I talk about how, um, and this is a blog post that is on my blog. Um, I believe it's called 10 years of portraits and why it's important to love your body now. And I'll send you the link because I feel like people really need to read this. Um, I think for me, it's still profoundly helpful. And I know that it's reached a lot of people and touched them. But this, what happened was I found again with the dating, um, what is now like photo bucket was web shots. And I had uploaded during college and before during my hipster days, um, 10 years of images of the you know, million lives, 10 years. And what ended up happening was I started to freak out and spiral because I was looking at these older pictures where I hated my body so much, but looking at them, you know, in the present, I was like, whoa, like, I remember that moment and I remember how much I hated my myself and my body, but I'm, I'm looking at a beautiful woman. And how did I not know that then? You know, like I can see it so clearly. Um, and I was thinner and this is very common. Um, one, I was dieting a ton, which I mean, the diets I tried were, they were endless and really terrible. Um, but also, you know, the more you diet, it ruins your metabolism and you gain weight back plus some. And so my my body was just so much bigger as I was looking at these photos and I was like, I was so much thinner back then maybe. And so I started to spiral. Maybe I think this happens for every, a lot of people. When we look at older pictures, like I looked so good then maybe I need to become that again. Maybe I need to lose weight to become like old me. Maybe if I become like old me and look like old me, I'll be happier. Maybe I'll be more successful. And and I started to spiral down this really dark 
like it felt so out of control of these thoughts. And I was like, I used to be thinner. Therefore I had this obligation to become that again. And I am so grateful, <laughs> but I was able to stop myself and realize that even though I was so much bigger than I was in all of those fatter, uh, less conventionally attractive. I was the happiest that I've ever been. I am the happiest that I've ever been. Um, and I am successful and I um, have the things that I was thinking I needed to find. And I had all of those things within this fatter body. And as I looked at the pictures, I remembered how much that past version of myself hated herself. Like to the point of rather, I, I um, would rather have died and actively tried to a couple times because I hated my body so much. I didn't want to live in it. So what that proved to me is that happiness is not a body size. Um, it's a state of being. It is kind of this internal sanctuary that you make for yourself. And that's something that you can have at any point in your life. It's not dependent upon your dress size, your pant size, whatever size, what your weight is. Um, and that just really proved that to me because thinner me was miserable and sad and stuck and surrounded herself with people who reinforced that. And fatter present me has found so much liberation and happiness. And that's not to say every day is perfect, but the difference is very, um, it's very striking. Jess, that is so beautiful. Oh my gosh. I'm like tearing up. <laughs> That's amazing. Don't we all have those experiences though, when we look at pictures? Uh, I mean, I love that. I love that you described where you could go and where you felt yourself kind of going, looking at those pictures and then how you were able to stop yourself and how you talk to yourself instead and, and what your self-talk looked like to be able to really identify, you know, beyond the emotional feelings of looking at old pictures and just really looking at the facts of like, wait, but that narrative that I was, oh, I bought into of if I'm fatter, then I will be, you know, less successful and less happy or what, and you know, mm -hmm. this whole long list of, of negative things you're realizing like, wait, that's just, that's just plain old, not true. Right. Yeah. And, it, and you kind of have to like step back a little bit, which is hard because it's so emotionally charged, but realize that like, that's, those are the facts. That was my reality. And, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, um, you know, when, when does it get better? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the real, the truth is that it, that letting go of that narrative of thin equals happy, um, is really painful. And I think there's a grief process that comes with it. Um, and then the other part is that it's really hard to like, you know, people think that if you embrace your body and don't diet and don't push yourself to the extreme and punish yourself, that you're letting yourself go, you're letting go, you're giving up. And it's quite the opposite. Um, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of work to rewire your brain to to challenge the messages that we've been non-consensually given by society, the lies that we've been told about what equals worth, what equals happiness. And 
it takes a lot of energy and it's difficult and it's a recovery road really. Um, but I also know that when I was in my deep self-loathing dieting days, that was a lot of work too. It was emotionally yeah. draining. It was just so hard. And if I'm going to spend energy somewhere working on something, I'm going to spend energy on healing my brain. And consequently after that, it heals your body and I'm going to live the best life I possibly can. And that's where my energy is going to go. And that just feels worth it to me, you know? Yeah, that makes so much sense. Oh, I love that. That is so beautiful. And I already, I already tried the other stuff. Like I've been there. Done I, that. Tried it, I tried it forever. It didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so isn't that, there's like something like um, a definition of, Oh, I don't want to say insanity because I feel like that's an ableist word, but is doing something over and over again and expecting different results. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> and you know, we're, that is what our, you know, society like banks on is that, you know, it's, it's your fault. And if you're, you're not, it completely ignores science and says that if you, <laughs> it's amazing to me how deeply I believe this and how it comes back sometimes. But if you just keep trying harder, if you just keep doing this thing that doesn't work, never works, will never, ever, ever work, and has been scientifically proven to not work, uh, then maybe it'll be different next time. Oh, I know. Then right? we punishment and the onus on us. It's gross. It's so gross. Okay, I'm done with my rant. Sorry. No, please don't ever be done with ranting. <laughs> um, so one thing I want to ask you about that I, I really appreciated your handling of the nuance of this so well. And I thought if we could take a couple minutes to talk about it, it might really help some people. So toward the end of the book, you were talking about sort of the body positivity world and you had some, some gentle critiques and I don't, and I've said this before on the podcast, but just so you know, Jess, I really believe that when you, when you love something, you aren't afraid to critique because that helps it get better. And I think when we just blindly do stuff without using our brains that we've been given, um, that's, doing, that's doing ourselves and the things that we believe in a disservice. So I wanted to kind of frame this conversation that way. I'm not, I don't think you think that it's, you know, the body positive world is terrible um, or whatever we want to call it, like health at every size or um, body liberation, these different words. But you had some really interesting critiques that I thought maybe we could talk about a little bit. Sure. You gave an example of a certain person that made a choice that then made it so that they were out of the community. And then right. they have, do you know what I'm trying to? Yeah. You're talking about, um, I think the most controversial topic is always weight loss surgery. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and we don't need to necessarily go there if you don't want to, but I just, I would love to know like overall, how would you, if you could wave your wand and make make this movement of body liberation even better? Like, what would you like to see? I guess is overall what I'm wondering. And if you want to talk specifically about weight loss surgery, we can too. I, well, I think weight loss surgery is kind of like the extreme end, sure. you know? Um, so I think it's like an interesting marking point. There's two things that I would want to see if I could wave a magical wand that I really wish I had. Um, one is that we continue to make progress and this is kind of taking it back to like um, what a lot of people see online on Instagram, like the Bopo, right. um, that has, um, you know, the more I learn, 
more people I talk to, the more I realize how important each facet is, um, each person's voice is. And I say that acknowledging that everyone is important and also that there are certain voices that need to be heard more and amplified mm -hmm. more. So it's kind of, this, it feels contradictory, but it, it's really, it's really just not, it's just reality. So if you were to send someone who was me, you know, before I figured out maybe I don't have to hate myself for the rest of my life, that person, um, and sent it, sent old me to present me, I would probably run screaming um, when I heard that, you know, like, my health is not an indicator of my worth. And like, I don't owe anyone health. And that's so extreme. So I feel like it's needed to have those baby steps, you know, starting with the fundamentals of seeing <clears throat> bodies loving themselves that look traditionally attractive, share softer messages. I kind of call it Lisa Frank Bopo. Um, but what I want to make sure happens is that people don't stop there, that we keep growing, keep pushing, keep moving forward into more progressive and radicalized spaces because there's so much more freedom. So, I love that's that. What, so you're not not you're not like dogging the baby steps because that's no. necessary to wrap your head around such a paradigm shift. Totally. And when has like a drastic change ever stuck and worked? Like never. So I honor everyone's journeys. Um, and I real I know how hard it is to let go of old beliefs and um, work towards it. So I, I I don't ever want to say that you know that aspect's not important. What get, is dangerous is when we stay there. Because that's when we actually end up harming other people because we ignore more marginalized voices, um, silence them, remove them from a movement. Ultimately, this body image thing that we're talking about was started in 60, the late 60s by queer women of color. Um, and <clears throat> So I feel like we need to honor that legacy work. Um, and if we don't, what we're really doing is just like kind of removing all of the teeth out of a radical, amazing movement and making it just fit us so we can yeah. be comfortable. And the reality is that we are all connected within this. So as long as our world is afraid of fat people, thin bodies will always feel like they're not enough because everyone, everyone is affected by fat phobia. Everyone is affected by racism, whether they know it or not. Everyone is affected by ableism. And so we have to go to the most marginalized bodies and find a way to remove that social injustice. And then in that case, we're all free. And it really is that interconnected. So it's important people move forward. So that's what I would wish for the wand. And I still have learning to do. Um, you know, every day I read more and more and listen to voices that are, that are um, far more educated than <laughs> mine. And I'm learning every day. And I think that's what we should be doing. Um, the other thing that is the nuanced part is that I wish I could wave my wand and make 
everyone, like heal everyone's internal wounds. That's what I really wish. Um, because a lot of, I don't believe that in like a kumbaya world, um, because the world is in un, unjust. And so there are, you know, like I have so much privilege in having a white body that is physically able to do what I need it to do. I don't have physical disabilities. Um, and so I experience a lot of privilege of being able to move around the world in safer ways than other people. So I don't really believe that we can just be like one brushstroke and let's, you know, I'll be the same. But I, yeah. what I do wish is that, you know, this, ang this, so say somebody, I think we have to d dive into the weight loss and I'll, I'll make it short, but also I'm going to hope that people can read into the nuance of this. So if a fat person um, gets a public celebrity figure gets weight loss, um, the entire fat community feels betrayed and angry. And that person is no longer, and this is not to speak for every single person, but it's definitely a trend. Large communities feel this way. Uh, that person is no longer a part of the group. You know, there's kind of this exile canceled thing. Um, and in a way, I feel like that's totally valid. You know, it's, it, it is so deeply personal. We have so few fat <laughs> role models that are achieving great things to, to look to. And so I want to hold space for that grief and anger and rage that comes because that's real. Yeah. And also hold space for the fact that we have to allow bodily autonomy. And that's what it's all about. So the only way I can see that being held <laughs> together, those two things, is if we were to have the wounds healed inside of us so that we're able to allow other people their decisions without it harming us emotionally, mental, mentally, um, and even like socially, you know. Um, but that's a huge ask. And how do we heal when we're so wounded and we've been, you know, traumatized our whole lives? We all deal with trauma, some more than others. So I would wave my magic wand for that. Um, I think the, the actual solution without a magic wand is somehow we need to have some sort of community healing because we're the ones who get it, right? Um, with eating disorders and maybe living in fat bodies and all those different aspects of, of body image. But when we're wounded, it makes it difficult. So I, I don't know. I do oh, need a magic wand. You do. You need one. And I would, I would vote you as the owner of that magic wand. That oh, was thank you. <laughs> Um, that sounds amazing. And I love, I love that, that really what you, what you'd want is for each individual to heal so that then other people are able to do with their bodies, what, what they, what they need and what makes sense for them and what works for them. And, and we don't need to over identify with other people's body choices because we feel secure in our own, in our own choices. Yeah, very well summarized. That we are able to move forward with our progress, our bodies, knowing our self-worth. Um, and not because ultimately what I don't want is for people to be more traumatized by other people's decisions. Like that's so much pain. And um, that's too much to take on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that it's wrong to have those feelings. 
No. Um, I don't believe in publicly dragging a person. I think we need to look at the problem, but it's not wrong to have those feelings. I just want people to be free from those feelings, but not be nice to not feel internally tortured by other people's decisions. And it's no one's fault personally. It's our, it's our society's fault that we have those reactions, but I would love to see those go away. We don't need any more emotional, mental torture around these issues. Oh, I so agree. And you know, it's, it's why I podcast. I'm, I'm trying to be a small part of, of helping people heal. And I know it's why you do the work you do too. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for it. I'm grateful for your voice, for your just incredible wisdom and your sense of humor. Oh my goodness. Like so much of, of this is just, I mean, it's all pure gold, but so much of this is just so needed. So thank you for writing this lovely book and for joining me today. Do you want to take a minute and kind of talk about how people can follow along with you and, um, and or get in touch with you? Totally. So um, you can find my blog, themilitantbaker.com. Uh, you can find all of my social media there. And I'm going to actually just tell you that like the best way to keep in touch is to sign up for my email list, which sounds really weird and like salesy, but it's not salesy. Um, every month I send out whatever lesson I'm learning and um, email lists are always the best way to like, because of algorithms, we miss like where I'll be and what I'm doing. So I'll always have those announcements too. So people don't miss out. And that's available on my blog too. Great. And yep. are you working Follow on another it. book? Oh my God. <laughs> it's too early for that question. <laughs> You're like, I'm just writing this one out for now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just healing a little bit from that very intense experience, but probably, okay. probably someday. Well, thank you just so much. This has been such a joy to talk with you. You're the best. I really appreciate Aww. your time. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Well, I sincerely hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you haven't already, please go ahead and leave a review on iTunes. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll see you soon for another episode.